Hello and welcome to the Mastin Kip Podcast. I'm your host, Mastin Kip, and I am the creator of Functional Life Coaching, where we discover the root cause emotional blocks that are holding you back from success. And I'm also the creator of Trauma Hacking, helping you turning your nervous system into your ally, and the best-selling author of the book, Claim Your Power, and also a trauma survivor advocate. And this podcast is from my heart to yours. I'm going to share with you all kinds of different things, uh, different coaching uh, experiences that I've had with people, um, different parts of my life, maybe an excerpt from a seminar, different interviews with friends and thought leaders, all about how to get unstuck, how to hack your nervous system, how to turn your nervous system into your ally and really get the edge so that you can really live your dreams, uh, live your purpose, and most importantly, pay it forward. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. One favor I have for you is this. If you love this podcast, remember to subscribe to it. And if you feel called, please feel free to leave a review because reviews really matter, helps us spread the word and helps other people really discover this podcast. So if this was valuable to you, please feel free to leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. And if there's anything in this episode or any episode that really strikes you as an aha moment, shoot us an email to hello at mastinkip.com. Tell us which episode it was and about what time uh, the breakthrough was in the episode so that we can really know because I'd love to hear from you what your aha moments are. I love hearing that and my team loves hearing that too. So without any further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Mastin Kip Podcast. So let's deconstruct trauma for a little bit, okay? So here's kind of the progression, okay? What happened to you? Your state of resilience during that time, okay? Um, how it was held by you afterwards in connection or isolation and how other people responded. So, you know, when you're growing up, if there was a big T trauma, right, or little T, like for me, it was just no one was there, okay? But, you know, if you're a child especially, how resilient are you usually? Very vulnerable, very vulnerable, okay? And how do we tend to hold things if we're in a vulnerable state? Do we share it? So we tend to what? Isolate, and if we bring it up, what do people tend to do? What do you guys think, out loud? Discount, shame, what else? Invalidate. By the way, every time a woman speaks up, and I think the most on-display version of this was the Kavanaugh-Dr. Ford process, right? People who don't understand how this shit works go, well, she should have spoken up sooner. Impossible. Impossible. It is devastating to bring this type of stuff up. It is so re-traumatizing for people. So you need to expect people not to bring it up in the moment, right? Which is one of the reasons why reaching for people can be so valuable to check in, like how is it going, right? And get them to self-disclose because many people when they're in that state won't share for many, many years, okay? So it's important to be able to check in, okay? But here's the thing. If what happened to you was traumatizing, but you were super resilient, you connected to it and other people afterwards and it was validated, what happens? I wouldn't be here. (laughs) It's not as traumatizing. It's resilience building. It's connection building. So guys, how do we heal trauma? There's two parts of it. One, we have to remove the danger. But is that enough? Think about this, okay? If someone robs your house and now they're gone, is that enough to feel safe? Yes or no? No. So there's two phases of healing. One is removing threat. The second one is restoring connection and safety. You have to do both. Because if you have connection with a threat, that won't work either. 
So we have to learn how to remove the threat and create connection and safety as well. That's the goal, okay? That's the goal, and not just by ourselves. So Oxford defines trauma. Don't write all this down because I'm going through it really fast, okay? I'm just setting something up. So Oxford defines trauma as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience or emotional shock following something really stressful or injurious, okay? That's sort of a vague definition, but we'll go deeper, okay? So if you look at the Greek word trauma, it literally means wound. And is it wounding to have a facial expression that doesn't match you? It's sometimes a micro wound, but still a wound. As a kid, it can be super wounding, okay? So we have all kinds of wounds. So when people tell me they don't have trauma, I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> they just don't understand what trauma really is, right? They think it's like, oh, I wasn't abused as a child. Well, that's not the only thing that's traumatizing, okay? So in German, the word trauma, which is trauma without an A, means dream, okay? So just watch me build this definition, and it's going to be really interesting, Okay. So, Webster's defines a dream as a series of thoughts, images, or emotions occurring during sleep. You guys with me so far? So we have a wound, we have dream, a definition of dream. You with me? Yes? Okay, cool. Awesome. Now, um, so, so that's the same slide. Okay, so here's the thing though. What does it have to do with trauma? So let's, let's create a new definition because I like to think of it outside the standard definitions, okay? So, in a nightmare, which is sort of the opposite of a dream, it's a scary dream, it's a frightening dream that usually awakens the sleeper. So who's ever had a nightmare where you woke up? Who's ever had that happen? Was it, how do you wake up usually? <gasps> kind of scared and like that, right? Sympathetic response, okay? And then you go, oh, thank God, it's only a fucking dream, right? That's the best when that happens, okay? Now, when we're sleeping, so remember, uh, this all happens during sleep. It's a natural periodic suspension of consciousness. So when we're asleep, our natural consciousness is suspended. You guys with me so far? Yes? Okay, just making sure. All right, so here's how we defined emotional trauma and all trauma, okay? An ongoing nightmare of thoughts, images, and emotions based on past wounds held in isolation that suspends awareness of our true nature. So it's a series of thoughts, images, and emotions based on the past that you hold by yourself that separates you from who you really are. And it can be just facial expressions that do that, right? But it's so automatic. Maybe you don't connect with people. Maybe you automatically get angry or automatically push away or automatically feel anxious. All of those things are based on usually unconscious versions of these things. Now, what's the purpose of a nightmare? To what? To what? To wake you what? No, the purpose of a nightmare. If you're having a nightmare when you're asleep, what does it do? It does what? Wakes you what? Are you guys okay? Here, just, just, all right. A nightmare does what? Wakes you up. What's the purpose of trauma? I think it's to wake you up, okay? So trauma blocks the signal of our natural wisdom on our bodies, and that creates pain. And we get the pain as a form of a wake-up call, okay? And what happens, though, is that we can either shut down or we go hypervigilant, okay? So we're either super worried about all kinds of shit, or we just go to a vagal shutdown, typically. All of these things happen as an opportunity to wake up, okay? Trauma blocks connection and co-regulation. Because if I'm hypervigilant and always on the lookout for threat, can I co-regulate, really? What if I'm super dorsal shut down? Can I co-regulate? No, anything but that, okay? Trauma keeps us stuck in the past. So the part of you that gets that hurt or that pain, even a facial expression, stops developing at that time. And we'll get into this later, 
But are you one psyche? One sort of personality only? How many personalities do you have? You got a shit ton, okay? And that doesn't mean that you have a problem. It means you're normal human. The myth of the unified self is bullshit. We are not one psyche, okay? And trauma also narrows our ability to perceive possibility because we're not accessing all of it, especially because we're having this emotional response over and over and over again. We can't actually see what's possible in the moment, okay? And it narrows our ability to create new realities because we're always on the defense, trying to stop something from happening, not trying to create something new. Who follows? This makes sense? Okay, so if you find yourself primarily in the defense, shutting down, isolating, withdrawing, pulling back, you try and defend against something, the problem is in order to create a new reality, what do you got to do? You have to engage. You have to keep moving, right? So what happens is, especially if you go dorsal vagal where you just shut down, right? The goal is to keep going, feeling like you want to shut down. Because here's the thing, guys. It's impossible to be immobilized if you're moving. Impossible. Okay, even if you feel like shit, that's better if you're moving. Like feel like shit while you move, okay, versus not moving at all, okay? Also, trauma really is an illness of not being alive in the present moment. This is a Bessel quote, okay? So you can't actually be here. So when Ramdas says be here now, well, to do that, what do you got to do? You have to heal that past shit. Being present means I'm here today. Tomorrow, not here. Yesterday is fucking over. Five seconds ago is just as over as World War II, right? But we keep the past alive. So when you do the same thing over and over and over and over again through time, you're actually stuck in that one spot. And sometimes it's just a part of you. It's not all of you that's stuck, which can be really frustrating, okay? And the core of trauma is being connected and not being, or being disconnected and not being seen, right? So that's why we did the match or mismatch with the face. If we, someone doesn't attune to you, especially as a child, you won't feel seen. What is it like to feel seen, noticed, recognized? Calm, what else? Say what? Connected, what else? Loved, freeing, in relationship, my relationship people. I bet when you get into a fight, you try to justify your side and discount their side. I don't know many people have a shitty relationship, where they really both hear and understand each other really well. Pretty rare for that to happen. What about financially? Why would you have low finances? Afraid to receive, perhaps? Also, especially if you're just getting started, there's a terrifying fear of putting yourself out there and being seen. Because if you haven't been seen and you start to be seen, the expectation is what? I won't be seen. And that's traumatizing. So fuck you, I'm not going live on Instagram. I'm not going live on Facebook. They won't see me just like my parents didn't. No, no, that's not entirely true, right? But the goal is to be seen, to be heard, to be validated. When your experience is validated, which does not mean you have to agree with it, their outcome, right? In relationship especially, you can validate someone's experience without agreeing with their assessment. I really see that you feel like I'm an asshole, because I only brought home almond milk and it had carrageenan in it. I'm sorry. Does that make me an asshole? No. And Jenna has never said that to me, by the way. Okay. <laughs> okay. So now she's like, well, they can see me, but they can still reject me. Rejection is not possible when you're seen. 
it's not. Negating somebody else's experience as false experience is very traumatizing. Extremely traumatizing. However, it doesn't mean they're right factually. But what you're agreeing with is their experience, which is why active listening is so valuable. Because when someone feels acknowledged, guess what? Their defenses go down. If you look at most lawsuits, the purpose is see me, mother. Most litigation issues are about two people trying to be seen and significant, right? And they work it out in the court because they can't work it out interpersonally, okay? So trauma also organizes your world based on how you feel, not reality. So that's subcortical, okay? So we're walking around in these feeling states all the time thinking this is how it is. And we have to learn how to bring our ventral vagal and prefrontal cortex system online to go, hi, I notice you're feeling this way. And to start to realize that's a feeling, not a fact. That's the past, not the future. That's not the present moment. So think about that. When you're really in a down state or hyper-aroused state, are you using critical thinking skills? What do you guys think, yes or no? No way, what are you doing? Sitting there, staring down, the stuff in your face, watching Netflix maybe, right? And super hyper-aroused, looking around, looking for a threat, feeling super stressed out and stuff, right? Anger really fast, depression really quickly, all those things, stress. Bipolar is navigating the states of arousal and hypoarousal. It's going back and forth between sympathetic and dorsal vagal responses, right? You can't stay in one for too long, right? What's depression? Is that a cognitive problem of like, oh, look at me, I am critically thinking right now and how depressed I am and I'm realizing this is based on the past and all this type of stuff. What's depression? Yes, there's a chemical imbalance. That's an after effect. What, what is it? Lack of attachment. I'll make it real simple. We'll get more into polyvagal later. It's a dorsal vagal shutdown response. <sighs> because as mammals, part of our response to threat that's life-threatening is to just shut down, dissociate, push away. And if we have to do that long enough, all of a sudden, that's all we know is shutdown. And it's really hard to get out of shutdown because being out of shutdown means we have to be in the presence of other people, which is threatening. So if someone's in depression, you say, oh, cheer up. Worst thing you could do. Yes, of course, there's a chemical issue, but the chemical issue is a byproduct of what? Where does, where does brain chemistry come from? The body. I was having a debate with someone on Instagram like last month about brain health and vagal health, and I said, you know, brain health is a picture of body health. Oh, Mastin, no. Well, you can't worship mental, mental health. I don't give a about mental health. I care about affect health. Because you have to have affect health to have mental health. It's the wrong organ. So all these doctors and shit worshiping the brain, paying attention to the wrong place. And tell me, besides surgery and neurofeedback, how the fuck do you improve the quality of the brain and the health of the brain? How do you do it without improving affect? That's affect. Affect. Regulating affect. Meditation, whenever you distract yourself in meditation, there's an affect response that comes up that distracts you. And what happens in meditation is you're turning on your prefrontal cortex to go, come back. Because it doesn't happen here first. It happens here first. And it happens before you're aware of it. Right? That's, we'll get to neuroception later. Okay? Affect is what you want to improve. Yes, please do meditation. Because meditation is a great ability prefrontal cortex awareness and down-regulating your limbic system. 
Okay? But what activates your limbic system? The body. Can you meditate to a peaceful mind if you're in the middle of gang violence, drug, alcohol abuse consistently? Maybe, but probably not. Environment impacts affect. Right? What if you're in the, on a battlefield and people are dying around you? Oh, let me meditate. No, that's not how it works, right? The brain is vital, but it is not where it starts. Think of it this way. What happens from here down? Just think about your organs, sweating. I got to poop. I got to pee. Body temperature, heart rate, cuts, emotional data. When you get triggered, where do you get triggered? Oh, my God, my, I feel it in my hippocampus. No, you feel it here. <laughs> that's affect. Now, here's the thing, Okay. When we look at the science, okay, which I'm a little ahead of myself, okay, when you look at the science of like mental health science and where it's stemming from and stuff like that, there was a heavy focus on efferent fibers, which is from the brain to the body, okay? There was not a lot of focus on afferent fibers from the body to the brain. Now what we know is there's like 10 times more afferent fibers from the body to the brain than the brain to the body. Which one's in control? The body all day long. And by the way, where do the afferent fibers go? Do they go to cortical or subcortical? Subcortical. So all that data is running right into your limbic system, right? So when you're having a meditative experience, you're activating that cortical prefrontal cortex part of the brain to notice what the is going on down there and bring your mind back. And there's many different types. A really good version of uh, afferent meditation is called Vipassana because you have to scan your body, right? And it's a, you got to go for like 10 days and it's a whole thing and be ready for it if you go, right? But the goal here is, is that you have to befriend your body. It's all about, the, by the way, what's the book called that Bessel wrote? The what keeps the score? The brain? The cortex? What does? The body. So it's all about the body, okay? And most of us don't spend a lot of time focused there, okay? So it's important to understand that how you feel comes from typically afferent data from the body to the brain, and it's not necessarily true. It's just a normal response, okay? Also, Trauma produces a lot of emotion, but not a lot, of, a lot of higher levels of thinking. Okay, so critical thinking usually happens when you're feeling safe and co-regulated. Okay, what do I got to do here? Okay, so that's why when someone's in like a shock in the moment, having crying or whatever it might be, you try to explain some shit to them, it doesn't work. That's what drives me nuts about hospitals. Patients are in there feeling all powerless and terrified, and the doctor comes in, okay, well, let me tell you about your CT scan, and the results are da 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 they're freaking out, and the doctor's just all cortical, and then leaves. And then seven different doctors come in with different takes on things, scares the shit out of the patients. There's no engagement in how safe they feel, which is, by the way, the most important thing. So someone who goes to the hospital is already traumatized because of why we're the there, and they get even more traumatized because of the people the way they get treated. Who follows? It's bullshit, right? Drives me crazy. I could go, to go off on that, but I'm not going to, okay? Higher levels of thinking come after emotional data. That's why you have to regulate first. You have to relate first, then you can reason. Regulate, relate, then reason. So important. As a child, did you ever have an emotional outburst? Anybody? Did your parents ever try to reason with you when you were being emotional? How'd that work? Anyone ever get more pissed off when they try to reason with you? Why? Because they're not attuning to your emotional state. Or 
maybe you had an emotional response and then they had an emotional response that was dysregulated. They got angry or dissociated or pulled back. Who's ever had someone like that do something like that before? What does that feel like? So you learn, oh my God, if I express my emotions, what will happen? I'll be abandoned, I'll be threatened, right? The goal is I can express my emotions safely. And in relationship, the goal is for you and your partner to be places to go to regulate each other. Meaning your partner needs to be your safe space. Not a place of criticism. Oh my God, you always say that. No, no, that's not the goal. The goal is to know how to be in your calm state, ventral vagal state, so that they can be dysregulated and come to you be regulated and vice versa, right? And that takes time and resilience over time. By the way, same thing's true in business. How many dysregulating things can happen in business, guys? How about everything all the time, right? And if that shit's always hitting you and triggering you and, de- and making you shut down or go harder, right? You're not going to actually make the right choice. That's why something like meditation is so powerful because here's the thing. When you de- down-regulate and get into a more calm state, you're smarter. You make dumbass moves when you're stressed or when you're shut down because all you focus only this. But when you start to get down-regulated, you start to work on this stuff and feel safer, all these possibilities become available, not because they weren't available before, but because now you're available to perceive them. Who follows? Does this make sense? Okay. Also, okay, before you experience any type of healing, the world I've been inhabiting is small. It's a very small part of reality. What I'm seeing is very small. The outcomes are very small. What this means are very small. After you have a healing experience, oh my God, the world's much larger than that small universe I came to know. Who's ever had that experience before already? So when you have this type of experience, you call it transpersonal, but it's also healing, okay? Meaning that how you think it's going to go when you're in finances or romance or traveling or charity. Was there anything else I missed? Finance, romance, travel, charity. Is that it? No, was there anyone else that had anything else as like number? Spirituality. Okay, in those areas, you have a very limited scope of what you think is possible. I can either fight this motherfucker or leave. I can either like abandon myself and make a bunch of money or take care of myself and have nothing. It's very sort of binary, black and white. Who follows? But guess what? There's way more options than that available, okay? So trauma festers in disconnection and isolation. So when you're holding it by yourself, when you're kind of being stoic and pushing it away, okay, it grows, okay? And when you look at like Voldemort or any of the in mythical whatever things, they always love disconnection and isolation, right? Same thing if you look at the 12-step rooms, right? Addiction grows in isolation. That's why they say keep coming back because what they're saying is co-regulation. That's one of the most important things about 12-step, by the way, is the co-regulation piece, right? Because addiction stems from being dysregulated and having, needing something to regulate you, okay? So we, that's why it's so important to be in the room, Okay? So a couple more things and we'll kind of wrap up on this session, okay? So the emotions of trauma are stored in the body regardless of how long it's been. So if, oh, I worked on that, it's still there because it's a part of you and the pathways are there. So if you think to yourself, oh, I did my trauma work. It's the same thing as going, I took a shower six months ago. Well, anyone take a shower today? I hope you did. <laughs> is that what that smell is? No, I'm just kidding right? Because it's a daily practice of resetting your nervous system, okay? And the thing is, we relive our nightmares until we realize that we are the dreamers and can wake up. And that's super powerful, 
Okay, you can wake up. Trauma, you can wake up from the stress, the anxiety, the binary set of things. I can leave and be free or stay and be stuck. There's way more than that, okay? And in short, basically, we heal or we hurt until we heal, okay? And in the meantime, we pass on our suffering. So I don't want that to happen. I don't want you to pass on your suffering anymore because you don't know that you're doing it. But when you get into those states, it's hurtful to other people. Now, don't beat yourself up to know that. Because what you don't want to do is use the education to shame yourself. Oh, piece of shit, you're hurting people. No, 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 don't do that. Just know that there's other things there too. And guess what? If you know an avoidant person, they are super hurt too. They just don't know it because they're just like, I'm fine. But deep down, they're not fine. Okay? They might look fine, but they're not. Okay? So... What all this means is trauma can be a catalyst to wake up and grow or stay asleep and die, and the choice is yours. And here's how you know when to make the choice, when the trigger comes up, to not share, to shut down, to get angry. If you get angry or upregulated like that, first thing you should do is breathe. Vagal breath and notice what's going on. And you might want to ask that part of you, how long have you been here? Because that part of you can get triggered by all kinds of shit right? And so what's interesting for us as facilitators is whatever people bring in here and whatever kind of, you know, triggers them, we know that's not the first time it's happened. And that's the chance to work on it is here, okay? So if things are coming up, let them come up so that we can actually give them voice and we can work on it, okay? So now, last piece here. What's the biochemical opposite of trauma then? Fun, healing, there's a four-letter word for it. It's my favorite one. Yeah, play. Now, look at that word. What's your first response? <sighs> <sighs> right? If that's your first response, you are a traumatized. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it can be scary or like kind of not interesting to play. How come? It's unsafe. I'll be judged. I have to take care of my finances and relationships first. Well, maybe if you played more, you'd have more better finances. I don't you know, right? Maybe if right before you went on an enrollment call, you had fun, things would be different. I've never met a couple who like regulated through like their body with like maybe massage, acupuncture. They had like great food that wasn't inflammatory, had like some good fun co-regulation and play together. And then they got in a fight. Very rare. Usually you get in a fight when low blood sugar, been stressed out all day and you haven't checked in at all. And there's no fun. Then what? Right? So our, one of our goals, guys, is to be to have fun. I'm going to push you on that. Hey, it's Mastin. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. And before we wrap up, if you found value in this, one of the best ways to get this trauma-informed information to the world, if that's something that you want to do and to be a part of spreading the word, I would be so very grateful if you could leave a review on Apple or Spotify podcasts so that uh, you can review this and hopefully it's a good review, but please leave an honest review. And especially if you want to leave a five-star review, I would be super stoked on that. But of course, just make it honest. But my goal is to share more trauma-informed information with the world. And I need your help to spread this information and reviews matter. So if you feel called to do that, would very much appreciate it. If you got value from this episode and from this podcast, we very much appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for hearing me out. And if you feel called, please leave a review on Apple or Spotify, and we'll see you in the next episode.